0: This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's programme.
1: How do you solve this in the longer term? You don't want to be in this situation when this happens again. This could happen next month if the wrong variant comes out.
2: We have not managed to ensure equitable access. We have left decisions to narrow national interests and to commercial decision making.
3: We need to be optimistic. We must be optimistic. It's everyone's interest to get out of this pandemic.
0: Well, hello and welcome to Inside Geneva. And yes, we're back to that topic again, the COVID-19 pandemic. It drags on, and at the same time, it always seems to be a step ahead of us. While we were producing this episode, new infections surged in Europe. The new variant Omicron was discovered, and here in Geneva, the World Trade Organization postponed again its ministerial summit – which was supposed to discuss patent waivers for life-saving vaccines and treatments. So, where are we? To start today's podcast, I caught up with Bruce Aylward, Senior Advisor at the World Health Organization, and a key member of the COVAX team, which is trying to ensure low-income countries get vaccines. We all know COVAX has had mixed success... So I began by asking Bruce for his assessment.
1: Well, imagine I tend to be a glass half full person, and I look at the successes and the importance of, of, of COVAX. And I think on a couple of scores, COVAX has done fabulously. First, in terms of getting doses out to low, low-middle-income countries, if we look at that, despite the low coverage in those areas, if you look at the lowest-income countries in the world, 80% of the vaccines that they are getting are coming from Covax. So Covax is proving to be an absolutely crucial part of the solution to protecting healthcare workers and some of the most vulnerable older people in some of the most vulnerable countries in the world. Covax has proven it works, it can get to countries no one else can get to. That's the other thing.
0: Covax of course the 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 hope was 2 billion doses delivered, distributed by the end of this year. How many have actually been
2: delivered?
1: So at this point, COVAX, uh, as of today, we're passing an important landmark. COVAX will have shipped 500 million doses to low, low, middle income countries primarily. We have got 1 billion doses allocated, which means we have the doses. They're in the shipment, uh, let's say, uh, lineup. And we can you know, assure low, low, middle income countries these doses are coming. We expect by the end of this year, our goal is to have shipped a billion. That will be a massive stretch um, and to have Sightline on um, close to one and a half billion. And when you get to those kind of numbers, you're getting enough vaccines into these countries that they can protect their healthcare workers, protect their older populations and start planning then that, you know, further population coverage for high risk uh, groups. So um, it's late, but it is such an important part of the solution.
0: But, you know, as we're learning in, in the countries where we were privileged to get our vaccines fairly early, what we're learning is that these vaccines are wearing out pretty fast.
1: Well, actually, what we're learning is these vaccines are incredibly robust. We're learning that, wow, there can be a bit of slippage in the ability to, uh, to, to provide um, protection against mild and moderate disease. But the key thing that we're concerned about is, can this save someone's life? There, these vaccines are proving pretty robust. Yes, there is some slippage, and as we go forward, we gotta bring all that uh, you know evidence on board and say, okay, where next? But where we are today is exactly where we were three, four months ago when we started calling for, you know, much more aggressively for the equitable uh, uh, rollout of these vaccines. There is 50% of the world that have never had a single dose. Can we really argue we need a third one before they get there first? It's the same question we started with, and this brings us back to. How do you solve this in the longer term you don't want to be in this situation when this happens again and remember this could happen next month if the wrong variant comes out right
3: in a world fatigued by waves of covid 19 now renewed fear in south africa scientists identifying a troubling new variant of the virus
2: that is dominating
0: well maybe that wrong variant is already here Bruce Aylward spoke to me just a couple of days before the WHO classed Omicron as a variant of concern. For some health specialists, his warnings cause a weary sense of déjà vu. Michel Childs is head of policy at Drugs for Neglected Diseases, an NGO dedicated to finding treatments for illnesses which claim many lives – But because they tend not to affect wealthy populations, receive little attention
2: and therefore very little investment. One of the reasons that we exist is because what we call the the fatal imbalance, which is that the majority of the resources into research and development for new treatments are focused on the areas where people can pay the most, not the areas of greatest public need. And what that means is that um, areas where they think people won't be able to pay a lot of money or the demand is very low, so you can't make money quickly, don't get research. And what's worse is where new treatments are created, they can be priced out of reach for the people that need them. And so that's why organisations like DNDI that I work for were set up to see whether we could find a way to focus on the areas of of greatest need and not of greatest profit.
0: What lessons from that... Can we learn about how we've handled the pandemic then?
2: Well, I mean, from our perspective, the pandemic is an acute example of some of the chronic problems that we have seen and we tried in a small way to overcome. I mean, it's clear that the research has primarily been focused in areas for high-income countries. There has been less research looking at the needs of low-income countries and neglected populations. But also the, the biggest issue, and I think this is the unfinished business in, in global health, is that we have not managed to ensure equitable access. And that is because we have left decisions about who uh, makes and who makes available and who produces medical tools to narrow national interests and to commercial decision-making.
1: The worst of America's COVID crisis may appear behind us, but in the worldwide race to vaccinate people against COVID, Africa is falling way behind. This
0: $1.2 billion would go to the British drugmaker AstraZeneca to speed up their COVID-19 vaccine research. In exchange, AstraZeneca promised the US 300 million doses if the vaccine made it through safety and efficacy trials. COVAX, of course, was supposed to take the commercial factor out of the equation. Global pandemic, global response. For Federica Zamato of the medical charity MSF, or Doctors Without Borders, COVAX was great in
3: principle, but in practice, it's flawed. The idea behind the COVAX uh, was absolutely, extremely laudable, but the system then very shortly showed its weaknesses. For instance, all countries were supposed to purchase COVID-19 vaccine through the COVAX platform. Very soon, this proved not to be followed by all countries. If you look, for instance, EU uh, went through bilateral agreements with with pharmaceutical companies to purchase vaccines. So basically, the systems had some weaknesses from the beginning. When we look at the COVAX today, they first committed to distribute something like 2 billion doses of COVID-19 vaccines by the end of the year, then lower the expectation to one. Reality is that we are not half a million doses delivered. And what is happening in parallel, when you look at from the perspective of countries receiving, it's actually quite difficult to have a clear timeline of deliveries of vaccines, which in practice means also uh, very difficult for the countries to organize their vaccination strategy, because basically they do not know when doses will arrive when the following uh, shipment will
0: occur. By January 2021, 96% of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine doses that were scheduled to be produced by the end of the year had already been bought. Basically, rich countries got vaccines, poorer countries didn't. That's a flaw the WHO's Bruce Aylward is all too familiar with. Wealthy countries all say they like COVAX, but they're outbidding it for vaccines. The problem
1: is, The world is not cooperating with COVAX. Manufacturers are not cooperating with COVAX.
0: That must be a source of real frustration to you when you think of the month's year. Now, you have pleaded from the WHO, say, come on, cooperate with this. It is efficient. It will reach countries that really need it. And as you always say, no one is safe really until everyone is safe.
1: Yeah, we don't plead. Uh, We make the case. And the case is extremely strong. And I think were I a CEO of some of these companies or were I a leader of some of the countries that are controlling global supply, I would be starting to think, and I should have started, you know, a year ago thinking, how is history going to judge me? How are my grandchildren are going to judge me? Did I do everything possible to save as many lives as possible to make sure my action met my rhetoric? Um, And so, you know, we don't plead, we make the case and we make it very clear. All lives are equal. We need to protect them the same way. It needs to be an equitable rollout. And then there was the Economics of it. If we want to get the global economies going, if we want to get the high income economies f- firing again, the best possible thing is to vaccinate everywhere. You cannot vaccinate one country and get out of this thing. And now the virus is telling us, you know, if we didn't listen to our, our conscience, if we didn't listen to uh, the public health argument, if we didn't listen to the economic argument, the virus is telling us, look, If you do not vaccinate everywhere at once, I will take advantage of that and I will wreck all the progress you've made with variants and other problems as you go forward.
0: Do you blame the big pharmaceutical manufacturers and the world economic powers, governments?
1: Well, I I don't. Yeah, I don't think blame is a great basis on which to try and build a way forward, right? So I think what we need to do is go out there and say, who can actually help solve the situation that we're in today, and then help build on the lessons for a better way forward in the future. And those are the heads of of the major vaccine, COVID 19 vaccine manufacturers, and those are the heads of the countries that have contracted most of the, the vaccine, and it's the countries that produce the vaccines together. They hold the the solution. And the challenge we have right now is not only the fact that we have a trickle of vaccine for some of the countries that need it most at this point, but the other problem we have is we don't have visibility on what's coming when, which means we are, let's say, tying both hands behind the backs of the countries with the weakest systems in terms of being able to make the best possible use of those doses. They can't even see what's coming. And something shows up here, you have two weeks to use it before it expires, right? Heck of a way to run a pandemic.
0: I've I've heard there have been some complaints, actually, from COVAX recipient countries about particularly that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, they don't know which product they're getting. They don't know when they're getting it. They don't know how long it's going to last for it, often days in advance. In fact, I was on with the Minister of Health from a massive lower-middle-income country yesterday and he said, you know, people are offering me yesterday doses of a vaccine that requires an ultra-cold chain and is going to expire at the end of November. I said, we're in the middle of November. You can't use them and now you're giving them to us. And so we've got to be serious. Coronavirus pandemic has now claimed five million lives. Nearly two years after the first outbreak in the Chinese city of Wuhan, COVID-19 remains the leading cause of death around the world.
0: So, two years into the pandemic, what does serious look like? WHO member states have, we're told, been having a serious think about that. And here in Geneva, they're talking about an international pandemic treaty to give the WHO and member states more power to act quickly. What does MSF's Federica Zamato think about
3: that? You know, I think that what we have to collectively to look into at the moment is still tackling the present pandemic. And we have some lessons to learn from this one. We are two years into the pandemic. We've had and we're having deaths caused by the COVID, but we also have all the other health consequences indirectly caused by COVID. And here I'm referring to the disruption of many health services around the world. When the COVID is disrupting services, it means that the health services are also not answering to the other needs of the population. I think we all know it very well in all countries, very much so in countries where MSF is working, for instance, where you see programs that tackle malaria, tuberculosis, HIV, that have actually been impacted a lot. Uh, less people have been uh, tested and treated for these diseases, as well as the routine vaccination for children have been hampered by the pandemic. So we need to find a way to be able to tackle at the same time the COVID pandemic, but also to answer to the, uh, the other actual needs of the populations which are there and need to be answered to.
0: Now is the time for solidarity in the face of this threat to all of humanity. Those were points the WHO wouldn't dispute, But as the world's biggest public health body and one which has received criticism for how it's handled COVID-19, the WHO knows it has to plan for the future too. Bruce Aylward sees promise in a treaty with rules on what to do. During a pandemic,
1: we're all members of societies, and every society we operate in has rules of the game to help us be better people. I am supposed to drive on one side of the road. You're British, you should drive on the other side of the road, but you know what you're supposed to do, and it helps you be a great member of that society, just like there's lots of other laws. We are operating in a global society when it comes to things like pandemics, and we need rules of the game that will help countries, leaders, companies do what they actually want to do and what they say they want to do. What we learned in this pandemic is, despite the goodwill, there are other pressures that prevent countries, companies doing what's in the best global interest. And that's where a global, call it a treaty, call it a framework, call it an instrument. We need a mechanism that allows us more ability to do the right thing. And in this case, the right thing is equitable rollout of scarce countermeasures that can save lives.
0: We've got
1: the WTO as well.
0: There's again this discussion of patent waivers how much hope do you have for that? It does seem bogged down in, in the
1: detail. This is, this is such an important conversation, right? The drive and the discussion around patents and waivers has changed corporate behavior. We are seeing the establishment of new production sites in low, low middle income countries. We are seeing the voluntary licensing very rapidly of new therapeutics as they come out. And I think we have to ask ourselves, uh, would that have happened if there wasn't this incredibly aggressive position on waivers uh, of patents? Very, very hard to believe, right? And when people say, well, we would have done this anyway, you had a year to do that. We didn't see any action on it, right? So um, this conversation is real, it's live, and it needs to continue, right? Because we're learning from this pandemic. This could go on for some time. The regions that are hardest hit in terms of equitable access and eventually the disease are those that don't control the means of production. And what they're trying to do is is desperately get control of those. And people keep saying, well, a waiver isn't going to get them there well, you try and go to a bank and get support for making a vaccine when the bank says, first question is, well, do you have access to the IP? No. So it really is in the hands of a limited number of corporations and countries to demonstrate, you know what, if you don't need a waiver, prove it.
3: There are 7.8 billion people living in a world in the grips of the pandemic and vaccines for only 650 million of them. Produced and distributed by only a handful of large pharmaceutical companies and so far distributed... Well, supporters
0: of a waiver had planned to hold the feet of governments and pharmaceutical companies to the fire here in Geneva at the WTO Ministerial Summit. But guess what? That's been cancelled because of rising Covid cases. Michelle Childs of DNDI says the discussion on IP waivers isn't going away. And the summit postponement is no excuse to do nothing.
2: First of all, we need to deal with a pandemic that's in front of us. There are things that member states could do now. Countries need to share uh, the vaccines that they have got and not hoard them. And companies themselves need to share that knowledge. And for me, I think it's really you have to recognise that although private companies will play a part, you cannot rely solely on-market approaches to ensure that you have the innovation and the access that you need.
0: Let's just drill down a bit into this issue of IP waivers because right from the start, people were asking for it, people like you, people like MSF, sections within the World Health Organization, but there is still two years into this pandemic, at best, a kind
2: of lukewarm attitude from countries in the developed world, so i think the the issue here is that that companies are being given the signal by many countries in the north that they should be pursuing commercial rather than public health approaches and that is exactly on the whole, what they're doing. They are focusing on supplying high-income countries who can give them the, the highest amount of money, and those countries are buying them their way to the front of the queue. And what we're now saying is, as a consequence of that, it is even more important that countries are able to help themselves, that where they can, they are able to make these drugs or these vaccines or these diagnostics themselves and the waiver is a one way to do that the idea
3: is to allow other countries to make their own versions of vaccines and scale up production something they say is essential to win the race against time with a mutating virus
0: so pressure for a waiver
3: will continue Federica Zamato of MSF again. Yes, we're calling for all states to support the intellectual properties waiver, not only vaccines. I'm referring as well to medical tests and, uh, and treatment. Today we have a production of vaccines, which is in the, in the hands of the monopoly of the, of the pharmaceutical companies. And we need to change a bit the paradigm and share that medical innovation with other countries to allow to have more production and a more equitable access to vaccines.
0: There's just not massive enthusiasm from member states, though. Why do you think that is?
3: I am not surprised. We had this fight in the past as well for antiretrovirals virus, for HIV and AIDS pandemic. Uh, So, yes, it's not so surprising that there is no such support from countries. Yet again, I'd like to remind us all that we are in the middle of a pandemic. It's not a matter of one country's business. It's all the world's business. So I think we need to put in place all the possible steps to try and tackle the pandemic at the best. And this one, the patent waiver, is one of those. UK, US and the EU are among those blocking the waiver. And major pharma companies are opposing it too. Are we prolonging the pandemic because
0: pharma companies want the big bucks? But even if countries do agree to a pandemic treaty sometime in the future, even if businesses agree to patent waivers even further in the future, that won't change the situation we're in right now. Cases rising, variants popping up, vaccination almost non-existent in some low-income countries and stalled in some wealthy ones. Have national interests and short-term political strategies prolonged
2: our pandemic misery? Michelle
0: Childs again.
2: I think it's unrealistic to expect in a pandemic that people aren't going to be nationalistic. Every time there was an opportunity to do things slightly differently, to support solidarity, actually people have reverted to business as usual or commercial approaches. And I think that what um, countries really need to think about is can they course correct on this? And we think that for treatments, there is a possibility to do that. So some countries have put conditions um, on their funding, which they could They could pull those strings and say, share this information. They could support the removal of barriers. They could share what they have now. And so I think we shouldn't just turn around and say, yes, we've been short termism, it's nationalism, and just wring our hands. There are things that could still be done now that could change the situation.
0: And where do you see us in 12 months time then?
2: I think we're at a crossroads in what we can do as governments organizations. Um, And I think that it is clear that if no action is taken now to ensure that there is an ability to increase the production and access to vaccines and treatments and diagnostics, we will not be in a position to limit the spread of of the virus. Um, And we will continue to see avoidable deaths and suffering.
0: So that's the warning. But Federica Zamato has some final words of encouragement.
3: We have the tools today to make it go right. We need to have collective uh, sense of solidarity and to be able to look each one beyond his little horizon. Again, to look beyond borders. We need to be optimistic. We must be optimistic. It's everyone's interest to get out of this pandemic. I like to think that Because we are all together and in this boat that we can learn from the mistakes that are being done and to address them. Well, in this
0: edition of Inside Geneva, we have tried to answer some of the questions you, our listeners, might have about where we are in this pandemic, what the policy discussions are here in Geneva, and how they might affect our struggle with COVID-19 going forward. But I know there's one last question many of you may want to ask. And I put it to Bruce Aylward.
1: When is this finally going to end? How many more months do you think we've got to go? We make that decision, right? There's about 20 people in the world who could make the decisions to expedite that. They had the companies with the countermeasures. They're the countries with the means to make sure that they are produced. And they're the countries with the financing to help low, low, middle-income countries be successful in the rollout of them as well. It's in everyone's interest. There's a way out of this pandemic by the middle of 2022, without a doubt. Are we going to seize that? Um, We're still going to need major shifts in the way we're doing business.
0: A way out in mid-2022. We all hope that's true. That brings us to the end of this edition of Inside Geneva. My thanks to Bruce Aylward, Michelle Childs, Federica Zamato and to you for listening. A reminder, you've been listening to Inside Geneva, a Swiss Info production. You can email us on insidegeneva at and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you think of the programme. And check out our previous episodes from a long, hard look at the United Nations now at 75 to an account of 10 years of war in Syria to the history of how the international treaties on landmines and on enforced disappearances came about. I'm Imogen Folks. Thank you for listening. And do join us again on Inside Geneva.
2: Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archeological site and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, Satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time.